will be our text here this morning. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The topic here this morning, effectual prayer. Effectual prayer. Lord, we come to you, Lord, with great need here today. Lord, we ask for your word in purity and in power that you would illuminate our spirit and our heart. You would build faith in this house, Lord God, that you would stir us and change us and put within us a fervency to pray, to press in, to seek your face, to believe you, Lord, for your perfect will to be accomplished in our homes, in our marriages, in our children, in this local church, Lord. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In our text here, the Holy Ghost, through the inspired writer, he points out the characteristics of effectual prayer. And make no mistake about it, there are some distinctive marks, a distinctive sound, certain qualities that can be seen, I believe, heard, and recognized. They can be discerned when you see this effectual praying, even before the fruit of it or the answer has come. I believe that those that really have the Holy Ghost recognize when someone is truly, by faith, communing with God. That has a little bit different quality to it than just regular communion between human beings. Amen. It has a different quality than religion. You can go into a Catholic church here this morning. There's a certain air of sobriety that will be present there. There will be a certain religious quality, but no one is communing with God. Amen. It has an altogether different quality, a different a distinguishing mark or distinguishing attributes as religion. So I, I believe it's something that can be seen and recognized. Now, the word effectual used here, that means influential. It means mighty, and it means authoritative. In other words, just simply prayer that works. Prayer that takes hold of God, takes hold of His Word, amen, and pulls down that truth or that Scripture or that promise from the heavenly or the eternal realm and makes it tangible in the realm of time, amen? That's, that's a prayer that will take a hold to the Lord Jesus Christ, that refuses to be denied. Prayer, no matter how difficult or dawning the circumstances, ultimately receives an answer, refuses to be discouraged, presses in, presses through, no matter what it faces. In short, it is prayer that pleases God. Amen. There's a certain prayer that pleases God, a certain, amen, cry from the heart that Jesus takes heed to when he passed through that town and those blind men cried out, amen, heal us, Lord. We're blind, oh, Jesus, Son of David, he stopped in his tracks and turned around. Listen to me, a certain cry of the human heart that's inspired by faith that takes hold of God Almighty. Now, such prayer has its distinguishing marks and characteristics. And if our prayer is to be effectual, then it must possess the unique attributes that are expressed here in our text. It's easily seen here, and I believe it's obvious 
if you just read this text, the things that are spoken of. But first of all, and this may be of a little surprise here, that I would uh, take this point from this verse, but I believe you'll, you'll, you'll see this clearly once it's mentioned. First, effectual prayer holds no unforgiveness in the heart. Effectual, hair, effectual prayer is not bitter in spirit, but is walking in perfect love. James 5 and 16, we read it, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Amen. Now, this is a commandment, right? It's communicated in the language of a command. It's not a suggestion, is it? No, it's the absolute pattern that's laid forth in the Scriptures. And the command communicates a certain transparency that we're to possess. A desire, amen, a willingness that all things be brought into the light and be appropriately addressed and dealt with. That's a right spirit. That's a right heart, amen. You pray to God in secret, but you desire to have your heart exposed in the light. There has to be that attitude if we're going to draw nigh unto God. We cannot harbor bitterness. We cannot harbor unforgiveness and expect to rightly communicate with the God of heaven. We know Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Therefore if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First, first, be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. If there's something between me and another human being that's not been made right, then Jesus said the first thing I need to do is make that thing right so that I can have right fellowship with God. Is that not what that verse teaches? We, we've, we've read that passage time and time again, but I can tell you it's the pattern of many people to allow themselves to become bitter. They they know folks have aught with them. They won't make it right, and yet they expect for their prayers to be answered. They just read right over the, the Scriptures and avoid these patterns and these principles and commandments that are given in regards to the law of prayer. Amen? We can expect nothing from God if we violate this spiritual absolute. We are to love our enemies. Amen? We are to love our enemies. We are to pray for those who despitefully use us. That's not the common tendency of the flesh. The flesh wants to strike out. The flesh wants to retaliate. Amen? But we are to pray for those who despitefully use us. We are to love our enemies. You know, the lawyer, he asked Jesus, tempted him, tried to catch him in his words, and he asked him a question, seeking to justify himself, who is my neighbor? So Jesus had to define that. So he knew where his obligation lies. Well, you know, we may ask who is our enemy, amen? That may be a question that we want to ask, to seek to justify. We, listen to me, our enemy, anybody that would hurt us, anybody that would do us wrong, whether it's real or perceived, whether it's real or perceived, and our obligation is to love them. Well, you don't know what someone did to me. They despitefully, they didn't just use me, they did it with malice. They did it with the wrong intent, the wrong motive. Pray for them! That's what Jesus said to do. And if you don't do that, you can forget praying about anything till you get that out of the way. Amen? 
This is one reason why the Apostle Paul confessed in Acts chapter 24, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. Now I realize, listen to me, if we walk after Jesus, we're going to have a lot of enemies. Amen? I'm not talking about having a men-pleasing spirit. I can't please everyone. Not, not everyone's going to approve of me. Amen? People are going to accuse me of hating them when I I don't hate them. People are going to accuse me of judging them when I am judging them by the Word of God righteously. People are going to accuse me of all manner of things. But I'm not talking about just simply walking after Jesus and walking in the Spirit. But if there's anything legitimate, any bitterness, any unforgiveness, any awe so that I can make right, that I can, I can uh, you know, go to the person and I can, uh, you know, heal that through repentance and a communication then that is required of me and we've got to see that amen an unforgiving heart is blinded by its own self-interest that's why when you have a selfish spirit offense is one of the the primary marks of that carnal nature because it serves itself above everything else and when you offend people's god you've got trouble amen so when you cut against someone's person that lives in self-interest and self-love they're highly offended amen that that unforgiving heart it's agenda is not the glory of God, but its own satisfaction and its own happiness. You see, that's a fruit. It reveals what's really in the nature, what's really at the center or the bottom of everything. If we can become offended, if we can, you know, hold someone's trespasses over their head and not release and not forgive, it reveals that we worship our own comfort, our own satisfaction, our own reason, our own self-interest, our own agenda above the glory of God. We've got to release people. Amen. We've got to love. Amen. If we want to be forgiven and to be an intercessor for those who need forgiveness, then it is necessary that we walk in forgiveness. And that is an absolute. Now, you can't say things like this without qualifying and addressing certain issues. You know, I heard Jimmy Swaggart say that all the folks that have an issue with his life or his ministry or his preaching or whatever, they, they, they won't forgive him for what he's done. I have forgiven him for what he's done, though I doubt seriously that he has been forgiven because he hasn't repented. But I don't trust him. Amen? And I don't believe that he preaches the truth. That has nothing to do with forgiveness. Amen? That has nothing to do with forgiveness. If a man is living in sin or living carnally, I can call it what it is. Amen. I can respond to it properly. I can discipline whatever is necessary or appropriate, and I can still walk in forgiveness. I can hold no personal, I have no personal vendetta against Jimmy Swaggart. I want him to be born, and I'm just using him as an example because, you know, he's one of the more noticeable individuals, and I I want him to be born again. I, I, I appreciate anything he had ever done in the kingdom of God. But I cannot overlook his lack of repentance in his sin. Does everybody understand what I'm talking about here? But we must forgive if we're going to be forgiven. Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice how he links those two things together. It's a promise and condition. I cannot be forgiven. 
forgiven if I refuse to forgive. We know that's the truth. Amen. Hence, Jesus taught that forgiveness is contingent upon the condition that we're willing to forgive. Amen. Listen to me in Matthew 6 and 14 and 15. It says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. That's an absolute. You know, that, uh, that, that's a sobering thought. That, that makes me want to search my... God, I don't want to be bitter against anyone. I don't want to be unforgiving. Amen? You know, the, the thing with us is we, we, we feel like if someone sins against us or someone gets over on us, and particularly, listen to me, in spiritual matters, this is where so often I see people, the warfare is they're not going to be, you know, properly dealt with or they're not, they're going to somehow, you know, fly under God's radar. Oh, no. Nobody's going to get away with anything. Amen? No one is going to get away with anything. Just leave it to God. Learn to release people, amen, unless it's absolutely necessary for you to respond. Be it, take upon yourself the lamb nature. Now, you know, we could go off and preach a whole series on the, 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 the subtleties or the, the subtle nuances of responses and how we're to respond when preaching the gospel, when not preaching, when we're attacked, when we're slandered. There's a lot of things that we, we could address here that I don't have time to address here this morning. But I can tell you this. You're never going to go wrong by taking the nature of the Lamb. You're never going to go wrong by choosing to take the low seat, to suffer the wrong. Particularly, listen to me, when it has to do with you, and when it has to do with someone wronging you, your person, I can tell you in those cases, almost without exception, take upon yourself the nature of the Lamb. And suffer the wrong. Release people. Don't don't think evil. Don't don't judge people's motives by a certain action. Learn not to. You can, listen to me. People that tend to be bitter are people that jump from A to Z all the time. Someone does something and they're already over here to Z within 15 minutes. They've decided why they did it. Amen. They decide what's going on in the heart. What's the motive? You be careful with that. That that's not right. You don't want to be dealt with on that level. Do you want someone just to? Uh, to look at one brief action that you that you uh, may uh, participate in, and then say, "Well, your motive is such and such." No, no. Love thinketh no evil. God's going to expose things. Just a little time. A little time will tell. Amen. But I can tell you, take upon yourself the Lamb nature. Walk in forgiveness. Be harmless as doves. That's what Jesus said. Become like a little child. You know how little children are. They're so naive and they're so forgiving. Children are so forgiving. You, you hardly find children that will hold uh, a, a, a grudge against someone. They're very forgiving as a general rule. Amen. And uh, Jesus said we ought to become like a little child. It says we ought to be simple concerning evil. Amen. I don't want to be naive. Nobody's going to get over on me. I'm going to fight for my rights. That's the nature of the devil right there. All that spirit. No, I heard a missionary say one time, he said, being a Christian is an anointed doormat. Amen. That's what God's called us to be. And many times that will be the case. 
many times, particularly when it has to do with those wronging us. Amen. In essence, what Jesus is saying here, he's teaching that bitterness of heart disqualifies a man from the grace of God. Now, we know when someone comes out of the illusions club, doesn't matter how much scripture they can quote, doesn't matter where they go to church, they cannot be right with God. Amen? Is that right? We would never entertain, no matter how theologically right an individual was, no matter how many scriptures he could quote, as long as he came out of that club there, we would say, Sir, if you fellowship with this, the love of God dwelleth not within you. Well, if you're bitter in spirit, you cannot be right with God Almighty. It's impossible. We've got to see that, that these things, they defile. Hebrews 12 and 15, looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And the reason that many are defiled by this is because it's often very subtle. And it's not immediately recognized. It's not as obvious as going to the strip club or getting drunk or being dishonest in business or being even lazy or whatever it may be. But it's something that can creep in and take a hold. And you know, as we become deceived by this spirit that would come in and tell us we have a right, we were done wrong, someone didn't, you know, treat us the way we should, and they call themselves a Christian, whatever the case may be. Amen. The devil moves us from the ground of the Lord Jesus Christ, which says, love your enemies, begin to pray for them. Listen to me. As soon as you're wrong and you sense that hurt in your heart, you better start praying for that person. That's what you ought to do. may not feel a whole lot of love and forgiveness, but you obey the Bible. Lord, I pray for this person, Father, really. Pray what the Word of God tells you to do. Uh, pray the Word of God do. Begin to do what the Word of God says. But if you don't and you begin to meditate upon these things, you know, if a man is apt to fall into uh, adultery by lusting with his eyes, you know where he has to be very mindful? He has to be very mindful about his thought life. Amen? Because what happens is images begin to roll. He sees something. He may turn his head. But then the devil brings that up time and time again. And that man's never going to have victory until he takes those thoughts captive. Amen. Those imaginations that are exalting themselves against purity and holiness and bring them into subjection to the person of Jesus Christ. Well, if you have a tendency to be offended or you have a tendency to become bitter, you better take those thoughts, those meditations of how someone, how could they have done that to me? And I told them and I explained it and I can't believe that they even after all that you better take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ that's not pure thoughts that's not edifying that's not that's not of a good report don't think on them amen learn I'm going to fall if I continue to meditate upon this. If I give place to this, I am going to fall into a spirit of unforgiveness and bitterness. Release them. Let them go. Amen. Just say, Lord, I know this. And I don't know why they did what they did, but I'm just going to let them go in the name of Jesus. You deal with it. Amen. I'm going to love them. I pray for them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Give them the truth. Whatever prayer, amen, that you would be led to pray, but bless those that curse you 
But you're not going to pray for anybody unless that is the practice of your life. We know that every promise of God is apprehended by what? It's apprehended by faith. But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. And true faith, the Bible says, works by love. So it's impossible that bitterness could flow in faith. Amen. It's impossible that faith could rise out of a heart that is only a heart that walks in forgiveness and only a heart that walks in love can really walk in faith. Amen. They can really be inspired. And that's why, listen to me, so many people, when they, when they come to a prayer meeting or they try to approach unto God, many times, listen to me, I'm not talking about walking by what we feel, but when there's a, a, a persistent and constant pattern, as if there is a wall, amen, between me and God, perhaps there's some things in the heart that need to be addressed. That's why so many people can't get liberty. That's why so many people are bound that find it difficult to seek God because there's areas of the heart that have not been cleansed and purged and they need to see, they need to find out. Perhaps, and I'm not talking about going on a witch hunt and imagining things that aren't there, but I mean, ask God, is there something? Perhaps I'm, I'm not walking in forgiveness. Is there some bitterness there? And God will show it to you if there is. Amen. But first of all, effectual prayer is free from bitterness. It's free from unforgiveness. Secondly, effectual prayer must be passionate. It must be passionate. The effectual, fervent prayer. Oh, and I want to stay on this a while here this morning. It must be fervent. Well, you know, uh, Brother Brett, what's the definition of fervency? How do we define that? You know, we could talk about modesty here this morning, and we could perhaps go all over America, and we could sit down in different, uh, you know, spheres of Christendom, and we could say, well, you know, the Christian is to be modest. And very few people would uh, disagree with that because it's in the Bible, at least those that would hold to the Scriptures. But then the issue would be, what is the definition of modesty? Your definition and my definition might be different. But the real issue is, what is God's definition of modesty? Well, so it is with everything in the Bible. How does God view this? Well, how does God view fervency? Amen? He said it ought to be fervent if it's going to be effectual. If it's going to avail, it's going to have to have some passion about it and it's not merely something that we apply to our prayer from the exterior in other words we hear this morning that our prayer should be fervent so when I pray at the altar here today I'm going to scream and holler lift up my voice no 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 what the Bible teaches is first it begins in the heart and if there's no fervency and there's no passion then something's wrong and something is amiss in the heart that's what we have to see but we have to come under God's definition of fervent. Amen. Literally, fervency means to be red hot. Now just take that definition and apply that to your prayer. Is your prayer red hot? Is my prayer red hot?
Is this church's prayer meeting red hot? Is the prayer meeting here this morning red hot? Amen. And if it's not red hot, then whose fault is it? Well, it's brother, you know, so-and-so over here. He's not praying red hot. No, no, that's not the way, right way to look at that. Amen. Is my prayer red hot or not? And if the corporate prayer meeting is not red hot, maybe we have very few red hot prayers here. That's what fervency means, literally, red hot. It implies great emotion, great zeal, and great energy. You show me a man with a sincere heart, and you show me a man who has a burden, and I'll show you someone who will pray fervently. Now, I can tell you, I've, had, I've seen every type of excuse when it comes to this. I've seen people come and say, I don't want to do something that ain't God, so I'm waiting on G. I'm waiting on the Holy Ghost. Well, there's certain things we've got to, obviously, we've got to have the Holy Ghost to, Holy Ghost to do everything in the Spirit. Amen. But we're all supposed to be filled with the Holy Ghost. The difference between Charismatics and Pentecostals are this. Charismatics come to church living independent of God and they come looking for him at the house of God. That's what they do. Pentecostals come full of the Holy Ghost. They bring Jesus. They don't have to look for him. They have him. That's the difference. That's the real difference in Charismatics and Pentecostals. Not that Charismatics just watch TBN. But I can tell you, a man full of the Holy Ghost, he don't come here to find the Holy Ghost. He's got the Holy Ghost. Amen? And when he comes here, he brings his full cup so that he can be a blessing. That's the difference. There's going to be a fervency in a heart that is filled with the Spirit of God. Coldness of spirit hinders praying. Prayer is difficult in a wintry spirit spiritual atmosphere. Amen. When you come in where everything is just so still and so quiet and so casual. Again, I've heard people say, oh, I, I'm, I'm not speaking because I'm grieved. Well, if you're grieved, then weep. Amen. If you're thankful, then rejoice. Amen. If you stand in awe of God, then tremble. But oh, I tell you here this morning, don't do, do something if you really have a heart that sees God as he is, then you will react accordingly. Well, you're not just going to sit around and stare at the carpet. No, no. That's not going to be the fruit of a heart that really has a revelation of God. Chilly, chilly surroundings freeze out intercession and drive the springs of supplication. It is that prayer that lacks the shimmer of an inner life and the voice of a burdened heart that is void of fire. Amen. You know, listen to me. We, we, we preach on the street and, and so often someone will say, well, I'm a Christian. And you know what we'll do? We'll say, well, come talk to me. Tell me what Jesus has been showing you. Come, uh, you know, tell me how God has been dealing with you. And most of them won't even begin to go in that direction. But if they even come over and talk to us, you can tell with a little bit of interaction that they hadn't been talking to the Jesus of the Bible. Well, the same is true of Christians that profess to have a prayer life. You let them come in that corporate prayer meeting and just by a little observation and a little bit of listening in, and you can tell whether people have been seeking God or not, no matter what they say, no matter if they're bodily, bodily at the prayer meeting, you can have your body here this morning and your spirit be 
at home. God requires that you forsake not the assembling. Not just that you have your body here, amen, that your whole person be here, that your heart, your spirit, amen, that you're here with the Lord Jesus Christ, believing, holding on to his word. You're at the prayer meeting, amen, you have to seek God. You have to press in. You have to draw nigh unto him, amen. Listen to me. We know that heat denotes intensity, something that glows and burns. We're commanded to be fervent in spirit. And I, I realize fervency isn't always manifest in a lot of screaming and hollering. I understand that. But I can tell you there's never a shout in the camp. There's never a pressure. Never a, listen to me, forget about all these other people in here. Amen? And look to Jesus. Don't work. Don't be so self-conscious about how you look, how you sound, or what is going to happen if I begin to press in. Amen? That's pride. And it grieves God. When you walk in and it's like, if I begin to pray fervent here, I don't know what's going to happen. Everybody waiting for somebody else to take off. Spiritual piggybackers. That's what I was. Someone else shout, then I'll shout too. But I'm not going to be the first one. If we all sit down and stare at the carpet, then I'll sit down and stare at the carpet. And listen to me. I believe in studying the Bible. Amen? I believe there's a commandment. Do you understand? I be, I'm not attacking studying the Bible. But if you study your lot of people that don't know how to pray, that don't press in, that don't really want to pray, they will use the Bible as a, as a place to hide behind. They'll sit in a prayer meeting and stare at the Bible. Amen? But they won't lift their voice and talk to God. You can study this Bible all day. If you don't talk to God about it. You're not going to learn anything. Really. It'd be better for you to talk to him. Not, pardon me. Better is not the right word. You need to study the word of God. But I can tell you, you need to pray. You need a communion with God. You need a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not here, amen, that we fellowship with God, amen. It's not in the intellect. It's not what you know, amen. It's not facts. It's not spiritual information. It's a person that you have to commune with in your heart, amen. I'm not, you know, putting a premium on spiritual ignorance. I'm not saying we don't have to be discipled, but that's not where the foundation is. I've got to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to know him. I've got to have communion with him. Amen. But I can tell you we have to have faith and faith is going to give us a revelation of God and a revelation of God is going to show us something. And if I have a revelation of people dying on their way to hell all around me, don't tell me that's not going to affect my emotions. Is that right? My nigh, the prophet said, affected my heart. In the spirit, he's not talking about just the natural eye. It's what we see in the spirit. And if we truly have a revelation of people dying and going to hell, then we indeed will be burdened. And if we're not burdened, it's because we don't see properly. That is the only problem. Amen? Listen to me. If, if, if we see, amen, the nature of the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus, the great price that he paid to redeem us, we won't have to have anybody remind us to thank him. We won't have to have anybody remind us to worship 
worship him. No, no, listen, these are all things. It, it, it requires that we see as we ought to see. And when we do, we have proper revelation, but we cannot say we have proper revelation and it not stir us and move us to emotion. It will. Oh, yes, it will. I'm not saying, listen to me, we can try to stir our emotions and not have a revelation. It's always there, prevalent, or always there, this, this pattern, the opposite or the counterfeit. And the counterfeit wants to touch the outward and manipulate the outward and leave the inward untouched. I know we could just shout. We could run. We could probably stir ourselves to cry. We could become emotional, and it mean nothing. But nevertheless, it is an absolute if we see things the way that they ought to be or see things as they are, then we are going to be a moved in our emotions when we recognize those things absolutely amen he denotes intensity and we must be fervent in spirit when the prayer meeting cannot be heard in the other room then we lack fervor that's it that's the truth where we ought to see this in the scriptures in acts chapter 4 when they had prayed the place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled with the holy ghost and spake the word of god with boldness i believe you could have heard people praying across the room there in that prayer meeting. Amen? Do we believe that? Then if we go a whole prayer meeting and we couldn't hear ourselves, if we stepped out of our body and took six, six paces backwards, maybe we're really not in the Spirit. Particularly if that's a pattern. Particularly if it's a pattern. Amen? We must be ever mindful God dwells in the flame. That's where he's at. He's in the fire. Fire is representative of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's all throughout the scripture. Amen. As we noted earlier this month, Jesus warns us against feeble praying. Now, listen to me. I, I, can, I can promise you. I've seen people, they just come in, stare at the floor. Amen. Come at all. You wonder whether someone's asleep or not. Never can hear them praying. Amen. You never see someone with the victory. And listen, I'm the pastor. I usually know where people are really at, where their life is, what kind of victory they really walk. I've never seen anybody that had a pattern of that kind of prayer life walk in victory. Never. Not one time. Never. You hear me? That may happen sometimes, and it may be that God is dealing with us and that we're quiet because God's, God's talking to us and we're not saying nothing. I don't, don't, don't think I'm saying that's never God. I'm saying when there's a pattern, that someone is rare. And if they're honest, you could just say, have you really been talking to God? No. I'm here at the prayer meeting. Rambling around in tongues a little bit. But my mind's not really on God. Don't, don't wake up. Amen. Wake up. That's not prayer. It's not. Listen to me. You've got to choose to talk to him. You've got to choose to pray. You've got to choose to, to enter in, to have intimacy with God. You have to draw nigh unto God. You have to talk to Him personally about the issues of your life. Every one of you have issues. Every one of you face battles. You've got to talk to Him about it. I mean, stop for a moment and think, am I really talking to God 
If I were to pull you in a room by yourself and say, what are you facing right now? Tell me where, where the devil's really, you know, fighting you or warring you. It could be a man. He could say, well, I'm wondering whether I'm called to God or what I'm going to. Well, have you talked to God about it? Nine times out of ten. Not really. I mean, in all honesty, how much time? Have you spent? You may have spent days, weeks, months worrying about it, meditating on it, thinking about it. But how much practical time have you spent talking to Jesus about it? That's the answer. That's what you got to do. I could pull some of you ladies in. My homeschool, I, I feel behind, my children, my house, uh, my relationship with my husband, whatever it may be. Amen. I, I've thought about it, and you may have meditated upon it for days, weeks, months, even years. But how often have you shut the door, went in by yourself, got on your face, and talked to him about it? That's what the answer is. See, wake up. I go to prayer every day. I've got to preach that here. Amen? Because we're in prayer meeting every day. And that's, I think that's good, that there's, there is an accountability among us. Amen? That's why we have it. No one ever said just because we had a prayer meeting that everybody here is going to be a prayer warrior. That every man and woman here is going to be a man and a woman of prayer. That does just because we institute that. Just because there is, and I believe every church ought to have that. Just because there's a standard. There's an accountability. That's not going to make anybody pray. You're only going to pray when you choose to draw nigh to God. And you open up your heart. And you become transparent. And vulnerable to the person of God. When you truly believe that He is the Messiah. He is the answer. We all confess that. If you believe that, then you seek Him for every need of life. And if we're not doing that, then we're not really seeking God. We have to wake up. We have to recognize that. We have to be honest about it. Amen. That's why you have a certain characteristic or quality to prayer. Amen. When folks are not really seeking God personally, you cannot stir a corporate prayer meeting. It just doesn't happen. I know that's true. I, I know it's, it's an absolute. I don't have to go to anybody's house. I don't have to have a, a window into anybody's soul. All I have to do is watch the corporate prayer meetings for about a month or two, and I can determine whether people are seeking God or not seeking God personally. Because the atmosphere ought to be supercharged with life. Ought not to have to be. Encourage people. Come on, just pray. You know, sometimes here, I'll just be honest with you. Come in on a Sunday. Sometimes you're saying, come on, worship God. I'm having to pre prepare to, uh, to preach, amen? And so I, you know, but sometimes I want to just come out here and kind of get the ball rolling. Just, come on, press in. Draw out of God uh, in worship. All you have to do is just, I choose to worship Jesus. I'm going to begin to sing with all of my heart. I'm going to begin to talk to God. If we have to be reminded to do these things, then listen to me. We are dull of hearing. We're not really aware. We're in slumber. We're asleep, so to speak. Amen. We have to be shaken. Would you press in? Oh, yeah, I need to press in. Jesus died for you. He shed his blood. Yes, that's right. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And thank God for that. 
Amen. That we can come in the house of God and be, you know, awakened to reality. But I can tell you what, if we're really seeking God, nobody will have to do that for us. Amen. We must be ever mindful that God dwells in the flame. As we noted, and I said this just a moment ago, Jesus warned us against feeble prey when he spoke that parable. And and he spoke it under this end that men ought to always pray and not to faint. Meaning we're to possess sufficient fervency to carry us through the difficult, severe, and sometimes long periods of pleading prayer. Even at times where the consciousness of God is not evident. Where we may not feel God. Or we may not feel like praying. We may not feel like worshiping God. Amen. There ought to still be a zeal resident in the heart. A fervency that we should press in as the psalmist said, as the heart panteth after the water brooks so panteth my soul after thee, O God, my soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Oh, yes, there ought to be a passion and a fervency. Prayer that's effectual possesses such marks. Now, we need to realize that fervency is seated in the heart, not the mind. Ninety percent of what I preach, I'll make a statement like that, probably make a statement like that in every sermon I preach, but I would say such and such spiritual attribute is not seated, amen, in the heart or in the emotions, but seated in the will. And I'm not trying to say here that fervency is not linked to our will. But fervency, listen to me, it's not an expression of the intellect. And fervency is the throb and the gesture of the emotional nature of man. It is linked to emotion and it cannot be divorced from that. However, I do know, amen, that what we see and what the revelation of God that we possess, that's what moves the emotional nature rightly and properly. Amen. We need to be stirred by the revelation of God. We need to meditate about Jesus. We need to meditate on the truth of Scripture. We need to press in to the things of God. You cannot live off my revelation. You cannot live off your husband's revelation. You cannot live off your parents' revelation. You cannot live off your church's revelation. You have to have a personal revelation of Jesus Christ for yourself. Do you hear me? You you can only eat regurgitated regurgitated food so often. Amen. You're only gonna you're only gonna grow so much on that which is regurgitated. Amen. You're gonna have to partake of Christ yourself. You're gonna have to drink of the living water. You're going to have to eat His flesh and drink His blood. You're going to have to go to Him. You're gonna have to come, all ye that you know are heavy laden, those that labor. Come. That's what Jesus says. Come to Me. Amen. Not simply go to someone else. Not simply hear good preaching, uh, not just be surrounded with good Christians. That's all good. It's all needful. I'm not attacking that. But I can tell you, if you want rest for your soul, you are going to have to seek God for yourself. You're going to have to know Him. You're going to have to walk with Him. You're going to have to enter in. You're going to have to open up your heart. You're going to have to commune with Him. And if you don't, there is no wonder you don't have any grace in any, in any given area. Amen? 
Listen to me. It's certainly not in our power to create fervency of spirit at will. We just can't create that or rightly create it. I can have us all stand, and I, I realize we can be stirred. I can tell you to, to seek God, and I, I can tell you to worship God as I lead us in worship. I'm not saying that's all bad, but I can tell you what, just simply encouraging someone or trying to you know, produce a pattern or a form of fervency is not what God is after. We cannot create that at our will. But we can pray that God would implant that in our heart. That God would give us revelation. That the scales would be removed from our eyes. We could pray for eyesight. That we could rightly see as we ought to see. So that fervency would be evident. It is ours then to nourish and to cherish what God has given us. To guard against its extinction. To prevent its decline. If there is fervency of spirit, it is my responsibility to stoke the flames of spirituality, to make sure that I don't grow cold in heart. If I'm already cold, then I ought to pray. Oh God, I need the fire of the Holy Ghost. Stir me. I'm not seeing things rightly. I know these truths in my mind, but they're not quickened in my heart. Quicken thou me, O God, according to thy word. Amen. It's never out of place. Listen to me. Never out of place to pray to God, to inspire within us, and to keep alive the spirit of fervent prayer. You say, well, preacher, you're describing me. I come to the prayer meeting. A lot of times, I'm not really seeking God. What do I do? Right there, pray for a spirit of fervency and intercession. Help me to pray rightly. Help me to seek your face. Amen. True spirituality is not only to pray, but to acquire a fervent spirit and seek by all means to cultivate it. Be fervent in spirit. Amen. We ought to seek to have such a spirit. Again, we may not all, I'm not saying we're going to all act the same. We're all going to be shouting at the same volume. Everybody has to run. Everybody has to do the same exact thing. I'm not saying that. But I believe fervency, intensity of spirit, is something that every one of us should possess. Every one of us. Amen. The great missionary to Burma, Mr. Judson, said a travailing spirit, the thaws of a great burdened desire, belongs to prayer. A fervency strong enough to drive away sleep, which devotes and inflames the spirit, and which retires all earthly tires. All this belongs to wrestling, prevailing prayer. The spirit, the power, the air, and food of prayer is in such a spirit. Yes, sir. You know, I'd like to ask you a probing question here this morning. If no one said we had to be, and Sister Brenda's at 5.30 in the morning, if there weren't people there to watch, to see whether you were there or not, would you come? Or would you sleep in? If no one was there to see whether your car drove up, if no one was there to see whether you came in and sought God, would you come? Or would you that really reveals whether you have the spirit of prayer. The devil attacks a prayer. Only the devil comes again. Only if you've ever come again. It's the devil. Amen. It's the flesh. Now the Holy Ghost is never attacking a prayer meeting. Never one time has the Holy Ghost attacked a prayer meeting. 
Don't come to me and tell me he is because I won't believe it. Never will I believe that. I don't care what excuse you give me. Never, ever has the Holy Ghost attacked a prayer meeting. Only the devil, only the flesh, and only sin. But I can tell you what, if you could, if no one was watching you, if you could do what you wanted to do, what would you do? Amen? That's real. If that, if you have, if you're honest and say, really, I wouldn't be seeking God, then it's no wonder that you're not seeking God, even though you're there. Cause that's your heart and spirit. You have to repent of that and say, I'm going to press in. And you do what's necessary to press in. If sitting behind your steering wheel there, you, you know, you're comfortable and you want to fall asleep, get up and walk around. All those people walking around, why do they do that? I'm doing it because that's the way, even when I stay awake. I'm just being honest with you. That's how I learned to pray. I've told you this story before. I got it. I, I'm not a, you want to kneel? Do whatever. Amen. That's according to scripture or not inconsistent with the Bible. Amen. But seek God. That requires that you set your heart, your focus, your affection on the things of God. You know, if I go fellowship with Brother Bob and I want to talk to him, I'm going to have to, you know, deny whatever distraction would come along. If I go to his house and a hummingbird flies by and feeds at the feeder over here and he's talking to me and suddenly I'm just you know enthralled with the hummingbird and enthralled with how he's feeding at the feeder brother Bob's going to wonder what's wrong with him why ain't he talking to me you know so uh, brother I thought we were talking about oh yeah I'm sorry come sit down look at him face to face give him some eye contact how do you know when someone's listening to you they make eye contact with you all of a sudden I get up walk to the back I was interested in that computer you got, Brother Bob. He follows me. I thought we were having a conversation. Oh, that's right. Wake up, brother. We're having a conversation. But we think we can do that with God. And we're talking to him. We're not talking to him. If I'm going to talk to Brother Bob, I'm going to have to commit myself to communication, to give and receive. Amen? Think about that. It's simple. But if I'm going to have a conversation with him, I'm going to have to commit myself to give and receive. To talk and to listen. Amen? And if you're going to talk to God, you just can't come in here and sit on a chair and believe that by osmosis, some kind of spiritual osmosis, that you're getting blessed because everybody around you is praying. I mean, you know, this is the kind of thing I look at. I wonder what could people be thinking? They're thinking that somehow spirituality is going to come and rest upon them. They're not talking to God. You're going to have to open your mouth and speak. You're going to have to press in. You're going to have to communicate. That's simple, you know. You'd think that people understood this. But apparently, we fall asleep in the Spirit. And we don't even take... You know, inventory of our own spirit. We have to talk to God. We have to do that if we're going to be blessed in any way. Effectual prayer next flows from a pure life. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. Nothing hinders prayer like sin. Amen. Nothing hinders prayer like sin. 
Amen. Psalm 66 and 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Amen. If I'm living in sin, if I'm harboring sin, if I'm refusing to confess and forsake sin, then that sin is going to bring death. And no matter what a hypocrite does, they can come into church, they can try to press in, they can try to pray, but they have no grace to do so. Sin cuts us off, makes us dead to God, alive to everything else. If we live in sin, we cannot expect to hear and receive from God. Absolutely not. Fellowship with God cannot be enjoyed apart from the covenant of grace. And the covenant of grace, amen, requires that we repent and we obey. Absolutely. And if we're not living in repentance and not living in obedience, then we come into the house of God or come into the presence of God or approach the Word of God with that sin in our heart and it has not been confessed and forsaken. If repentance is not evident, then we are going to come to a closed book. We're going to come to a God. The heavens are going to be brass. They're going to be shut against us because we cannot fellowship with God apart from the blood. Amen? That's the truth. Now, the first, you know, admonition that's communicated here is that we have to be righteous. Is that right? A righteous man, that prayer, his fervent prayer is effectual. It availeth much. However, the condition of righteousness points really more directly to our faith in the finished work of Christ. Now, why are you saying that, Brother Brad? Because if I've got any righteousness at all, and you have any righteousness at all, It is the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's real and that's tangible. It's not merely imparted or imputed. Amen. It is experienced. Amen. There is an imputed righteousness. Amen. I can't be righteous for 25 years ago because I wasn't righteous. Sin's, uh, Christ's righteousness has been imputed to me in that regard. But obedience has not been imputed. It's required. By grace, as we walk in the Holy Ghost. Nevertheless, it all can be traced back to faith in what Jesus has done at Calvary. So we have to recognize that. We cannot fall into the mentality that if I have sin, listen to me, walk in holiness, obey God, amen, go and sin no more. That is the commandment and the admonition of God, and we can fulfill that through grace. But if you sin, amen, you do have an advocate with the Father. Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation not only for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. As we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of Jesus will forgive us and cleanse us from all sin and all iniquity. So what I'm trying to tell you here is if you have sin, then repent, confess, forsake the sin, and you can immediately go into the presence of God. Yes, you can. And the problem is, is we begin to think, even if we, if we have sin, and I'm not making any excuses for that or any provision, but thank God for the blood. Amen. Thank God for the blood. See that newborn Christian at the altar, prays through, gets born again, may have come into the church house drunk. Amen. He can rise from that altar with the cigarette smoke still clinging to his clothes. He has just as much a right into the throne of God by the blood as you and I do. And we may not have sinned in years. Amen. 
again. Listen to me. It doesn't matter. I need the blood of Jesus every day. Only by the blood can I enter into the presence of God. See, I know that in my spirit. I can't go before God in my own righteousness. I can't go before God because of my performance. No, no. I'm going on the ground of the blood of Jesus Christ. And on that ground alone, it is Christ's righteousness. It's His finished work at Calvary. And because of that, I can pray. Because of that, amen, a whole new life has opened up to me. And you, we can fellowship with God. The promises of God are made available to us through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got to believe that. We've got to see that. Amen. We've got to know that. Amen. Only on the ground of the blood, no matter how obedient we are, can we enter into his presence. Only by the blood. Here this morning, we worship God and we come into his presence. Only by the blood. Only by faith in his blood can we live holy. Only by faith in his finished work can we remain holy. If you're holy, it's because you believe in Jesus. Amen. If you're holy, it's only because you stand in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That holiness is tangible. It's a real work of grace in our life that literally sets us free from sin. But nevertheless, it's not my effort. Amen. It's His work of grace in and through me. In and through me. So see, listen to me. Our faith, the object of our faith, always in every situation, recognizing, understanding that it's in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I am righteous only in as much as I abide and am in union with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we see that? And do we understand it? Amen. So if you have sinned, amen, if you refuse to repent, then don't be presumptuous. Amen. Don't don't suppose that you're going to live in some sin, some known disobedience to God, and come before God and have liberty or receive an answer from God. No, no. The prayer of the wicked is an abomination to God Almighty. The sacrifice of the wicked, it's an abomination. And how much more when he bring it with a wicked mind. Amen. God's not going to hear the prayer of that person that's unrighteous and unrepentant. But if you have sinned, amen, then repent. Put it under the blood. Confess it. Forsake it. And know that on the ground of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're just as worthy to come into His presence as before you fell. You've got to know that. If you don't know it, you'll be overcome. And the devil will elbow you out of the presence of God forever. He'll always just bring up accusation after accusation. No, no. If we've repented, we've made it right, then we can come into His presence. Amen. We can come into His presence because of what He did at Calvary. And the last thing here this morning, effectual prayer. It always prevails. It availeth much. And that word availeth means to exercise force. It means literally to prevail. So the effectual prayer, it always prays through to the victory. It receives the answer. Though the answer may not always be what we expect. 
It may not always come the way that we expect it to come or when it's to come. But I can tell you this, the effectual prayer of a righteous man. Such a man will not be disappointed with the answer of God. He just wants God's answer. He just wants God's mind. He just want what he just wants what God wants. And when God gives him an answer, he always says, Amen. And so be it. He rejoices in the manifested will of God. Effectual prayer continues to believe. It continues to stand. It continues to wrestle until the answer is apparent. It apprehends what God wants for that individual, that person, His perfect will. It realizes every promise of God. Effectual prayer. It avails. Amen. It's the kind of prayer that I believe all of us want to pray. Amen. The kind of prayers that we want to be involved in. Because prayer indeed, it is the beginning of all the real and genuine work of God. Without prayer, nothing is going to happen. Do you understand me? Just recognize that. In your individual life, if you don't pray about it, it's not going to happen. Amen? You're going to have to talk to God about it. If you want your marriage to be quiet, you're going to have to pray about it. If you want your children to be born again, you're going to have to pray that they get born again. Amen? You're going to have to seek God. You're going to have to ask God about it. If this, cha- if this church is going to receive, you know, revival, if we're going to walk in the truth as we say we want to, then we're going to have to pray about it. If we're going to see the lost saved and the lost turned, if the preaching that we preach in the open air is to be effectual, we're going to have to pray about it. And if we don't pray about it, nothing's going to happen. We've got to recognize that. We've got to see that. It's the beginning of every genuine work of God, prayer. And we're called to that altar. And we're called to pray effectually. To come before God with nothing between us and others. To pray with passion, fervency. Amen. To come in the righteousness of Christ. To walk in faith even in the blood and the finished atoning work of Jesus Christ. And then we'll see prayer prevail. It will avail much in our life, in our church, in our homes, when we pray along those lines, when our prayer manifests these characteristics and these marks, that we're praying the prayer of faith, the prayer that God is pleased with. Stand with me here this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lift your hands toward heaven. Just seek the Lord here this morning. Amen. If you want to come in these altars, amen, just do as you will. You want to kneel at your chair. Let's just seek the Lord here. You know, ask for a spirit of fervency. Ask that you'd be for revelation that you would see, that we would all see as we ought to see, that God would grant us eyes sob. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Apply the word to our life, Father God. Draw us unto you. Lord, help us to pray. Teach us to pray. Give us grace to pray, Lord. I pray, O oh God, that we would rightly analyze, we would rightly judge our life, Lord. If we're drawing back from you, if we're not really seeking you, Lord, if we're just burning time, Lord, in your presence without opening our heart, without sharing our deepest longings and our temptations, our tests, our trouble, our trials, O oh God, I pray you awaken us, Lord. Lord, our condition, Father God. I pray, Lord God, shake us from our stupor, our spiritual slumber, Lord, 
that we could see properly. Remove, Lord, the scales in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Purge from us any lukewarmness of spirit and lukewarmness of heart, O oh God. I pray, Lord, circumcision of the heart, circumcision of the ears, Lord God, that you would help us, Lord, that you would apprehend us, that you would give us grace. Pour out your Spirit upon us. Pour out your Spirit, Lord, of supplication upon me and my family, upon this church, my brothers and my sisters, Lord God. Awaken us unto righteousness in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Purge our heart, Lord. I pray remove the callousness. Quicken us, Lord, according to thy word, Father God. You know what we need to see. You know what we need to hear. You know our thoughts are far off, most holy God. I pray, Lord God, that you would deal with the innermost part, the essence of who we are, that you would set our motives aright. Lord God, that you would try the reins and the intents of the heart, that you would place within us that godly seed of the Word, that you would purge and cleanse every part, Lord, oh, that there would be truth in the inward parts, that we would be kept, that we would see rightly, that we would be stirred, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth, to talk to you as God, as sovereign, as creator and as Lord, that, Lord, that we could say with our mouth and with our heart that indeed Christ is the Messiah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Work within us, Lord. Have mercy upon us in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah.